BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off-limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. Hey, this is Al Moore III from Iron Man, and you're listening to Talking Metal. You're listening to the Talking Metal Podcast with your host, Mark Striegel, and special guest co-host, Victor M. Ruiz. iTunes number one hard rock and metal podcast. I'm Bud Friendly. Now, here are your hosts, Mark and Victor. Welcome, one and all, to another episode of Talking Metal Live. This is Victor, and over on the other side of the world, we have Mark Striegel. Hey, Victor. How you been? Not too bad. Um, on vacation. Sick a little, but... We're back here uh, talking some music. So <clears throat> you're currently on vacation? Or you were? I, I was on vacation. I came back this past Monday. Oh, I got you. Cool, cool. And you're feeling better or are you still a little under the weather? Yeah, I'm, fe- I'm feeling a lot better. Had uh, one of those lovely things where you're on vacation, you catch a nasty cold right at the end. So I was laid up for a little at the end, but uh, uh, back 100% now. Cool. We have a fun show tonight. We're going to be talking and playing some metal as usual. And we also have a special guest. Do you want to tell uh, the listeners who we have on the show tonight, Victor? Sure. We will have Al Morris III from the band Iron Man, a doom metal band from the Baltimore, Maryland area. They're currently signed to Metal Blade Records and... They're about to release a new album called It's South of Earth, right, Mark? Yes, South of Earth, which I'm curious about that title. You know, is that like a a takeoff on South of Heaven or or what's the story behind that? We'll have to ask Alfred when we get him on the line. Absolutely. So this has been about a month since we've done a live show. Um, There was one interesting thing that you sent along in that time period which was regarding the band ghost and you've always been you know a big supporter of them i guess from the start i mean i've heard you uh talk them up for a really long time now yeah you know this is their their second album they had i guess uh, an ep which i actually have uh two and that's a good album 
but I, I, you know, it's funny. I was just talking with uh, Rob from the Metal Injection podcast about this, and without a doubt, you know, Rob's more of an extreme metal guy. I'm more of like you know a traditional metal guy. I like a lot of like kind of stoner stuff too, and some alternative stuff. But um, without a doubt, this for me, and I, I believe Rob, Rob said it was his favorite too. Uh, favorite record of the year that is it is so strong and just the songwriting and the whole presentation uh, the way they they put across these well-crafted songs and uh, amazing production is just so much fun you know it's a whole gimmick you know it's a shtick what they're doing but but the music like a lot of other bands that have had shticks you know from you know alice cooper to lordy to you know Marilyn Manson to Kiss. You know it's. Uh, you could even say Iron Maiden at times has had a shtick. I mean, people don't like it when I say that, but with with Eddie and all the all the theatrics on stage, stage sometimes it is a bit, uh, you know, over the top and and theatrical for lack of a better word. And right. ghosts definitely have that, and they're so much fun. And even if you don't dig the whole backstory and the whole craziness, there's a whole story that they have going on. Um, the music does the talking, you know, and it's it's good stuff. Right. I, I've had a chance to see them live. Last year, I got to see them at the Sonosphere here in Spain. And they played the second stage, but it was packed when they played. I mean, they had a lot of people, um, you know, really sort of synced in with them. Right. And, you know, just as you said, they've got that whole, like, stick going on where... The singer, uh, and I can't pronounce the name, <laughs> the, the, the rest are, are the ghouls, but he's uh, Papa something or other. Yeah, yeah. Papa. Pope. Uh, I don't know. You have to look it up. But Papa Impiphius the second or something like that. I don't, I don't know. I, you know, I had a discussion with Rob uh, from Metal Injection, which uh, you guys listening to the podcast version of this have probably probably already heard that episode if you're listening to the live stream on uh, at the end of september here you probably have not heard that episode because i haven't posted it yet but rob and i were talking about the na- the way you pronounce the name of this record there's a lot of uh discussion and debate on uh, the correct pronunciation of the current ghost bc record you want to take a stab at it infestatizumum maybe uh In, in, infestus infestusimum I don't know yeah that sounds pretty close I don't know Rob actually I believe pronounces it correctly he said he heard one of the guys in the band in an interview say the say the name of it so um, regardless of pronunciations and, and stuff uh, great great music by these guys and the, the thing that reminds me of Kiss actually that that you know their identities are completely you know not revealed and not only do they you know wear the costumes so you can't tell what they look like but they don't even have names you know they, they all have the same name except for the singer which is the uh, you know the nameless ghouls right and the funny thing is I mean with the documentary that you sent the uh, yeah, that's still li- great. I mean I'm wondering how many people are actually you know seeing that and thinking that the guy without the makeup is actually the guy singing, because I bet you there's a good percentage of 
of people out there that don't get that, that aren't you know, in the whole... on the joke. I sent it to a friend of mine uh, who is a uh, is from Asia and he's living here in the states, and he he honestly didn't get that that was kind of tongue in cheek and in a fun joke and to me you know that even makes it more fun because it's like some people just don't get it you know and 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 that even makes it more exciting to me right the the singer's the same singer i mean on the first album and on the second album i don't think so i don't think so i think they actually did replace the singer i think it's a different singer on the second record so that part of the story i i do believe is real actually okay okay um, now, the, the, because, the singer being this guy in his like 60s or something who, you know, used to hang with Don Cornelius or something. That part is is fake. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Nothing wrong with hanging out with Don Cornelius when he was alive, but it's highly unlikely that that guy was hanging out with Don Cornelius. Yeah, there is a rumor. One of the guys in Ghost BC was at one time in Crash Diet, you know, that glam like Swedish, right. I guess I think they're Swedish glam, Swedish metal band. Um, I think one of the nameless schools may have been one of the guys in Crash Diet, although that's a rumor. Don't know that it's true. Well, there was, I think it was Metal Sucks sort of took a stab at at least who the singer was. And if they did replace the singer, it's probably because people were already saying that it was the singer of a. Uh, Swedish uh, death metal band or black metal band because his facial features were, were fairly similar and his singing style was similar as well. So maybe that could lend to the whole thing that they replaced him more so to keep the uh, anonymity of the band, maybe? I don't know. Could be. Could be. I don't know. You want to check out a little music? Yeah, this is Year Zero by Ghost BC. Yeah, before, off Before you hit play... If you haven't seen the music video for this, you got to see it. It's a bit shocking. If you're, you're a lot of full frontal uh, uh, nudity from, you know, some ladies of all different ages and also a little male new fr- male full frontal nudity for like maybe 15, nah, probably less than that, like 10 frames at the end of the video. There you go. They're pleasing everyone in their crowd. <laughs> Although I gather that the majority of the video is for the meat and potatoes of their crowd. But uh, anyway, here we go. Little Ghost with Year Zero. Asmodeus, Satanas, Lucifer.
Hey, Al, how are you tonight? Welcome to Talking Metal. Oh, good to be here. Thanks, man. We are totally excited about the new record. It sounds great. It's called South of Earth by Iron Man, and we want to talk to you about that. I guess let's start, you know, start right, right, right on the new record here. Who's actually playing on this record with you? I know there's been different people in and out of Iron Man over the years. Can you give us an update who currently is in the band and who plays on the record with you? Okay, well, in the band right now, you got myself, uh, you got uh, D. D Calhoun, he's the lead singer, Louis Strong, bass player, and uh, Jason Waldman, we call him Mott, he's on drums. Cool, and these are the same guys who play on South South of Earth with you? That's correct. Victor? Sure. Um, I was listening to South of Earth and and really, I mean, really liked what I heard. I think there are a lot of bands that are trying to do what you're trying to do with this and maybe get sort of caught up in what they're doing and aren't as maybe as as fluid or, or as maybe even as organic with what you guys are doing with this album. It sounds great. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Would you think it's fair to say that with a lot of these other bands that have come around and started playing doom metal, that there's been a resurgence in doom metal, or do you feel that it's always been around? It's always been around, but with the help of uh, high-speed media, the Internet, uh, more people are able to get at it. You know, before it was like super underground. And now the underground is powered by digital technology, so uh, the audience is, is getting huge. Gotcha. So, I, I mean, I guess you would be one of the um, proponents for the Internet and music. I mean, there are so many people that have come out and said that it's, you know, it hasn't helped or that it, you know, downloads have, you know, given a negative effect to their band. Would you say that, you know, the Internet has actually helped keep Iron Man around or helped it reach yes, it new Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, because with this high-speed media, I mean, all these generations can catch up, you know, at, in an instant. So uh, it's only helped us, you know. And I mean, it's not a few bands, but I mean, yeah, in Iron Man's case, yeah, we, uh, we live and have lived and have survived through the Internet, you know. And uh, now we're, we have something we can back it up live with, you know, with these uh, great guys that have playing now. And speaking of the great guys that are playing with you now, um, Screaming Mad Doe Calhoun, I mean, his voice is just so powerful and he has such great range. Can you talk a little bit about your history with him and how you guys originally hooked up? Yeah, um, uh, a mutual friend of ours... Uh, Star Piatas. He's with uh, a band called Serpent Witch, but uh, she had gone on the road with us uh, with the, with a, the previous band that recorded that I had returned back in '09, and um, she didn't like what was going on. She felt like you know uh, the the vocals really wasn't respecting the music, and you know really wasn't giving his best on the performance. She said. You know, I got this guy, you ought to try him out, Allie. I mean, he is great. You know, she was talking about D, you know. So I said, well, you know, let's give him some stuff and let's see, you know. And um, she had given him some stuff to listen to. And he 
um, I guess he was able to put his voice with the record, and uh, you know, we, she she brought us that, and we heard it, and we were like, "Wow, this guy can sing," you know. <laughs> so, um, you know, we we talked it over with our manager, and um, I think late uh, 2010, we decided we we're going to go ahead and make the switch, you know, and have you join the band. So uh, that's how that came about. Cool. Guys, yeah, you need to check out South of Earth and, and listen to this guy sing because uh, just an insane voice. I was just listening to the song, <clears throat> A Whore and Confession. And I mean, he he's just, I mean, he hits the low notes and then he just totally gets the, you know, hits the peel the paint off the ceiling type of voice too with some <laughs> of those high notes, you know, good stuff. And And your riffs, man, I mean, you've always been known for just being a riff master, where do they come from? Are they, do you have to work on these riffs for a long time or do they just kind of come out of jamming with the guys? Uh, like how, how does one come up with these big massive riffs like Al Morris the third does? <laughs> well, I mean, people uh, sound surprised when I tell them, but what I do is I put on the guitar, you know, unplugged, and I stand up in this large mirror that I have on my house and I just <laughs> like strum a little and all of a sudden I just start playing and riffs just, you start standing out. I go, oh, wait a minute. You know, and I said, let me play that again. You know, and I'm watching myself the whole time in the mirror and it just comes to me. That's wow. how, uh, that's how I've done it. I mean, since I moved out of my parents' house, and had been on my own, that's how I had been doing it. I just stand in front of a mirror with no amplifier because um, I didn't want to, uh, I guess, uh, call attention to myself. You know, oh, there's a guitar player that lives over there, you know, because you'd hear this guy playing through an amp, you know, so I, I didn't do that. I just would play unplugged and just figure it out for myself, you know. And Yeah, yeah for some reason, standing in the bathroom or standing in front of a full-length mirror or something, that just seemed to do it for me. It, it, it just helped me to focus on new stuff, you know, and I don't know wow. if it's something that's getting shot through space and bounces off of the mirror. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, mirror, mirror, mirror on the wall. What riffs do you have for me today, right? Wow. It's, <laughs> yeah, uh... really. I ought to shoot a commercial for that or something. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's interesting, though. I wonder if, you know, being in, in front of the mirror, it helps you, like, get in tune with yourself or something like that. It's, uh, that's, that's wild, wild stuff. When you are rocking out through the amps, what, what guitars, amps, and effects do you generally use? Well, it's always, you know, from the early days, it's been like the Gibson SG. It's, uh, it's like 73 standard. I haven't done any, no modifications at all, other than move the strap pin to the horn. Uh, which the guitar doesn't, doesn't come that way. The strap pins on the back of the neck, but I have big hands and that just wasn't working. My hand would hit the strap, so I moved it to the horn so I could have full access. Uh, amplifier has always been the, the Sun Beta Lead Solid State. You know, I have two of those, four 412 cabs. Um, now, are you running yeah. through like a distortion pedal of some sort? Yeah, yeah. I have uh, like a lot of the electroharmonic stuff. Like right. I have uh, the original quiet, crying tone wah wah pedal. I've got the um, uh, Boss uh, acoustic 
simulator, which I use sometimes. And then I have the uh, uh, Unifuzz, which uh, I've seen on eBay for a thousand dollars now. You know, I oh. bought it for sixty nine dollars when it came out. Yeah, nice. Uh, then I had the Electro Harmonix, uh, Electric Mistress, and I have the uh, Memory Man, uh, which I had to replace. Uh, with uh, a Behringer time machine, which is an exact copy of the Memory Man, actually. Got a few updated features on it, so it's pretty nice. So that's basically all I have as far as effects. You know, the rest of it is uh, how I uh, beat the guitar up as I play it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, right, right. And Victor, earlier in the interview, referred to Iron Man as being doom metal. Is that a, a... a tag or a title that you like or don't like. I know sometimes we talk to bands and they're like, we don't like, you know, being called extreme metal or, you know, glam metal or something. They, they, they like to just kind of not be categorized. Do you mind being called doom metal? I don't mind at all. They could call it whatever. I mean, cause what it is is that we're going to write whatever we feel, you know? And as you see on that record, I mean, there's a lot of different things in there. You know, uh, Aerial Touch the Sky, Change the Sky, that's not that's not a doom song. <laughs> you know, if you heard that right. one, that's in the middle of the whole thing. Uh, so, yeah, we're just going to write, and we'll, we'll write what we like, and we'll write what fans respond to. And if it remains doom metal, that's fine. If all of a sudden it evolves into something else, it's because it's something that they called it. But we're just going to keep writing the same way we write, you know, and I'm going to have my sound. And we'll just keep going. Cool. Victor, you got anything? Yeah, and I appreciate uh, some of the questions that you had, Mark, because I was sort of fumbling with uh, some of my terms earlier. But uh, getting back to sort of how Iron Man sticks out, I I do think that a lot of bands get stuck on, you know, sounding like maybe Sabbath or sounding like, um, I don't know, um, Pentagram or something like that. And they sort of don't expand where, as we're touching on right now, the album is, you know, all over the place. Uh, what other bands, newer bands, do you listen to and do you think are actually, you know, pretty cool that are coming up through the ranks? Uh, actually, I, 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 I don't know of many. Um, you know, I like some of the, uh, Stuff like, you know, Church of Misery, I like Orange Goblin. Um, but they're not really that new, but uh, right. I like, um, uh, oh man, I can't think of the name of those guys. Oh, the Deftones, I like them. Okay. You know, there's a few. I, and I like the, the, the stuff Soundgarden came back with. A lot of people didn't like it, but I heard stuff in there that was like root metal, you know, root stuff that. It could have come out back when they first, you know, surfaced out of Seattle, you know. So uh, that's a few of the things. But you know, I am pretty busy trying to keep my thing going and and, and developing, you know. So sure, and I, I do agree with you on that Soundgarden assessment. I do think that had they have continued, that would have been a logical sort of progression with you know what they were following with those other albums. Exactly. Hey, Al, do you feel that South of, of Earth is more diverse in some ways than your, your previous albums with Iron Man? Uh, 
I don't know. I don't I because it's the same formula. You know, I mean, we we want something. I always make sure that at least there's something that has a rock and roll element to it. Maybe a little gallop. You know, maybe an Iron Maidenish type of thing. I always try to. Uh, put something in there that uh, your 60-year-old grandma wants to hear. You know, uh, that was the case on I Have Returned to the song Days of Old. You know, anybody can listen to that. Uh, right. This album, we have Aerial Change the Sky. Anybody can hear that, you know. So uh, we uh, have been writing the same way. And um, if it fits, we, we, we let it fly. You know, we put it out there. So... Uh, that's probably why we'll we'll keep developing because we're not gonna, you know, pigeonhole ourselves. You know, we're we're gonna have the freedom to write, and whatever's uh, whatever's given given a spark to each guy, we'll put it all together and just make it one big explosion. You know. Cool. Now, you guys, or well, not you guys. I mean, you're really the only member who has been of Iron Man who's been on every every record, but. But you personally uh, were busy with Iron Man throughout the '90s, and then after 1990s Generation Void album, there was a, a eight, <clears throat> eight, maybe even nine year gap before we heard anything from Iron Man. What were you up to during that time period? Well, let's see. Uh, <clears throat> okay, we had the, the Generation Void came out August '99. Uh, we did a few shows, and we actually had a U.S. tour that started in January of 2000. Uh, and, uh, you know, I guess, uh, a couple of the guys were thinking it's going to be like, oh, was Zeppelin on tour or something like that. I mean, <laughs> at this level, you know, you're not having hotel suites and thousands of dollars. I mean, you're, you're, you're paying, paying your dues and you're playing wherever, you know, uh, and sometimes it's not a stage, sometimes there is. And so, you know, this, this gruntled and, and, um, a couple of guys left, so we had to get some substitutes. Um, and then, you know, it kind of basically just ran its course up until about April and, uh, the the thing kind of fell apart. So we had to kind of regroup, uh, what I was trying to do was, um, you know, of course, get another band together. Um, but that time on the road, uh, it kind of took away from my, my, my home life. And my, I had a, a, a young daughter in school, and she was kind of missing her dad, not being home. And, you know, her grades fell, and she was kind of depressed. So that kind of break kind of just, uh, I let it go ahead. And what I was trying to do in the background was not play live, stay home, be the supporting parent, and also try to put another, put another band together. You know, and I said, well, this time... I better get a manager to help me out, you know, so when we finally do relaunch this thing that we will have some direction, we'll have some, uh, uh, structure, you know, structure. So, uh, right. Uh, basically, um, once, uh, actually my daughter graduated in Oh six. So, uh, I had secured the manager back in 2004 and finally, uh, we put the, uh, band together to finally do the show in 2007. So, from right then till now, we've pretty much uh, been successful at playing live with, without too many problems. Cool, cool. And uh, we have somebody checking in on Facebook, Dave Burke, and he wants to know, how do you tune your guitars? Oh, okay. Um, we don't, okay, we go, 
standard tune is like E440, but we tuned, what we do is we tune to D. And then that way, uh, the band's tuned to D. So, so all six I, strings I, are, are dropped a full step? Exactly. That's how, that's how we tune. You know? And then if I want to reach into the depths, <laughs> then I'll, I'll drop a, I'll do a drop D in D. So it ends uh, up, uh, you know, that, that's how it starts to get really heavy, you know? And then with my tone, it, it gets accentuated more than, uh, you know, other people's. They, cause a lot of people think I took it like A or something. They say, man, you guys are really, really down there. You know, we're not actually. It's just that the way my tone is, it really accentuates that slight drop. You know? Right. I got you. Cool. Cool. And obviously you guys are kind of from the same area as Pentagram. Do you, uh, do you know Bobby from Pentagram personally? Yeah, we've been friends for years. In fact, um, we were going to do some stuff together, you know, but uh, it just, it didn't happen. You know, we, uh, I guess, uh, communication, trying to get people to play. Cause I think he, uh, it was me, Bobby and, uh, Joe Hasselvander. We were going to try to do a project, but we just couldn't get it. You know, we, we, we passed riffs around, but we never really got to actually solidify anything, you know, but yeah, oh, okay. me and Bobby have been friends for a long time. Yeah. Cool. Well, that'd be great to hear you guys work together at, at some point in the future, if it ever happens. Did you? See, I'm sure you saw the documentary last day here. Oh yeah, yeah. And what What were your thoughts on that? I was like, wow. Yeah, <laughs> he let us all hang out, didn't he? You know, I mean, they really opened up Bobby to the world, you know. Uh, but I, at least, um, you know, it led into some good things. I mean, I'm glad that uh, you know. Uh, he got his wish to be like we always all wanted to be, you know, traveling, playing, being on a, on a good label. So I'm glad that the uh, the Metal Blade thing came together for him. So yeah, you know, I I'd seen him after they were signed at a show, and you know, we were like as we were old buddies, and um, you know, he was like, hey man, it's good to see you. And I said, yeah, it's good to see you too, man. You're finally there, you know. So uh, and then. Now here I am right behind him. So it's, it's, it's good stuff. I, I want to see him now, you know, so we can kind of pet each other on the back and say, yeah, we made it. We're yeah, here. Definitely. Well, last days here. It was an interesting documentary, guys. If you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. I actually wish the documentary would have went a little more into his, his music. You know, it, it touches upon it a little bit, but it, you know, it, uh, I guess it's more about his personal life than than the music uh, because he's put out so much great music through the years. Yeah, I, I kind of wish they had more of the songs too. Yeah, you're right. Cool. Well, Al, we we really appreciate you taking the time out to uh, to talk with us. I got a lot of respect for you. I know you've been doing it for a long time and, you know, kind of have been always on the underground level. And I, I found it very interesting about what you were saying earlier about how the internet has actually helped you guys. Cause we hear the opposite from so many other musicians. They feel they've been wronged or, or hurt by, by the internet. So it was, it was, it was cool to hear uh, someone actually say that they believe uh, the internet helps them. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. You know, I mean, like I said earlier, it's going to catch every generation that comes up because all of them 
are going to want to know about this heavy underground evil music. Where is it coming from? What was it? What's the history of that? Because kids are interested, you know? They are. I mean, I was surprised when I saw that teenagers like classic rock. I was surprised at that. And I was like, oh, well, it went around when it came out. So I guess they would be wondering, what was that my dad listened to, you know? We'd love to see you uh, on the stage up here in the New Jersey, New York area. Great. Hey, we want to be there, so I'm sure bookings are coming through for that, too. Okay, well, I'll keep my eyes on the website. Actually, why don't you give the, the Talking Metal listeners uh, the website address, if you don't mind? So, our website is uh, www.ironmanband.com. Cool. All, All right, Al. Right you bet. We'll link it through All today's right. show notes on TalkingMetal.com. Best of luck to you. Let's catch up soon. Thanks, man. We'll do it. Good night. All right, good night.
What you just heard was Hail to the Haze by the band Iron Man. A big thanks to Alfred Morris III for coming on Talking Metal and Mars Attacks this evening. You know, it's amazing like what he was saying about how the internet can just catch everybody up, especially right. young kids. But even me, because I must admit that I, I really through the years have, I mean, I've heard of Iron Man, but I haven't been that familiar with their music. And uh, one of the guys over at Metal Blade, uh, that's the label that's putting out South of Earth, the new Iron Man record, sent me a link to uh, to the new record. And I, I played it and I was like, wow. After the first two songs, I was like, this is good, good stuff. And I right. immediately started kind of educating myself to who they are and what they've been been doing. I mean, you know, Al's been putting out music since really the 80s, you know, and uh, here we are, 2013, and uh, he's still out there doing it. So good for him and hats off to him for uh, keeping the flame burning. Guys, definitely go check out South, South of Earth by Iron Man. It may or may not be on Spotify. I know Metal Blade is a little funky with uh, putting their stuff on uh, Spotify. So if it's not on Spotify, go buy it somewhere like iTunes or the CD. I've been really into listening to CDs lately. Cool. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting, not only the the Internet thing that he mentioned, uh, but the to- the one thing that you brought up and... It was sort of uh, my frame of mind when Napster was around way back when. You know, a lot of labels ditching great mm-hmm. albums where unless you find them on the web, you know, in bootleg format, and you've mentioned this on Talking Metal in the past with uh, various other sites, unless you find someone that's willing to post an album, a lot of times that album is dead and gone. Right, totally, totally. Yeah. And I mean, it's like... I, I generally don't do illegal downloads unless I can't find them anywhere. Like, like there's, you know, there's stuff that's, that's just so deep and buried that, that you just can't find it anymore. Like for example, there was a, a compilation that Lars Ulrich put out back in the late eighties called, uh, actually it came out in 1990, the new, uh, the new wave of British heavy metal revisited. And it was like all these awesome, obscure, rare tracks from, you know, the new wave of British heavy metal, which was essentially 1979 through like 1982, you know, British and UK bands for the most part. Um, and uh, he, he issued that and it had beautiful liner notes that he wrote. And I have it on cassette, but, you know, I... It's not a you can't buy it anymore. It's out of print. And you know, recently I did a a search for it, found it on a website and downloaded it. You know, and it's like that's usually the only time I'm doing illegal downloads is when I can't find it legally because I would have gladly paid twenty bucks for it, but I couldn't find it. You know. Yeah, I actually had there were uh, two versions of that on CD when it came out. There was a single disc. And there was it was a double or a triple disc. I don't remember, uh, but I actually had it, and I actually sold it before coming over to Spain. So I actually have the MP3s of that album um, or that compilation, I, I should say. But you know, there's so many great albums like that that you know, even in the last few years, I know there are like the Vinnie Vincent solo albums that Chrysalis, I guess, is part of the whole Virgin 
conglomeration now and you know that'll never be re-released by them uh there were some obscure label that re-released that way back when some of uh ace's stuff is being um reissued now the i guess the first two freely's comet albums things like that but unless you had the original cds i mean really 30 you're waiting close to 30 years for it to be reissued you know so it you know, labels are almost begging for people to go out there and see what they can do to to get a hold of some of these things. You know, it's just it's a shame. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. I mean, and then there's like the more like obscure stuff that you know, who knows who freaking even owns it, and and right. and there's so many metal bands, especially the new wave of British heavy metal, and even like some of the like glam metal sunset sunset strip bands it's the same story it's just yeah. like it's just not on itunes you know and and sometimes there's weird like re-recorded versions you find on itunes that fucking suck you know and it's just like you want to hear the original shit and uh it's just not out there i mean hell you can't even get the original megadeth first couple albums you know uh, you know, legally anymore. Yes, you can get them, but they've been fucked with and, and remixed and some parts have been re-recorded by him in recent years. So it's, uh, I'm always against people going back and tinkering with shit, you know? Um, that's a whole nother conversation. But anyways, thank God for the internet because we have everything at the tip of our fingers. If not legally available, we can, uh, you know, get it in other means, right? Yeah, I Absolutely. So uh, another thing that I sort of brought up to you off air was that a bunch of sites had discussed that it was the 30th anniversary of Shout at the Devil being released this week. It's sort of odd. I mean, sort of odd. I'll, I'll be 40 in a month. So 30 years have flown by like nothing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, we were talking off the air. How I remember getting that for Christmas when it came out at a local store in New Jersey. Crazy Eddie's. At Crazy Eddie's. It was insane. His prices are insane. If you don't, if you're not from the New Jersey, New York area, go Google on. I'm sure they're up on YouTube. Crazy Eddie commercials. Yes. They used to be just <laughs> whacked out. Some like coked out guy yelling about how the prices are insane. But yeah, Crazy Eddie's. Hold on one second. Yeah, my dog, of course, disturbing our show again, chomping on something. But Crazy Eddie's, uh, on a side note, was a store. No, that was Sam Goody. I was going to say in the in the late seventies, early eighties. I, I, I was thinking Crazy Eddie's got in trouble for selling counterfeit records, but I believe actually that was Sam Goody. Something you? No, they got in trouble because Crazy Eddie Antar, I think, was the name yeah. of the guy. Oh, tax He's... evasion or something, right? Tax yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, it's funny that. You mentioned um, uh, the same goody stuff. I remember in Crazy Eddie's way back when, when I got this album, there was stuff that, I mean, did look somewhat shady, but what really stood out to me at that time, I remember seeing VHS tapes. Yeah. The going rate for them back then were like a hundred bucks because they're, you know, the VCR was just coming out yeah. and you know, uh, they, they weren't, they weren't being mass produced. So a lot of the same, VHSs that were going to the video stores were being sold, you know, in Crazy Eddie's. That was yeah. the first 
that I had ever seen VHSs in my life. Well, it would have been a few years before Shout at the Devil came out, but and I'm a couple years older than you, three years older than you, but um, we had a Betamax, which was, you know, supposedly the higher quality uh, sister or brother to the VHS. Of course, VHS took off and Betamax died, but Betam- at least they died in the uh, non-professional format. I mean, in television, they tend to still use betas to this day for beta SPs. In some cases, they're starting to get phased out a little bit. But beta max, anyways, we had similar to a VHS. And uh, we bought Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, probably a year or two after it had, it had been in the theater. Yeah, so I guess it was probably right, right around the time Shout at the Devil came out. Although I know Shout at the Devil came out when I lived in Illinois and we bought Raiders of the Lost Ark on VHS when I lived in Wisconsin. So it must have been a little bit before. And we paid at the time, again, this is like 82, $60 for Raiders of the Lost Ark on Betamax, which in 80, I mean, what, what is that today? Like $200 or $150? Bucks? I mean, can you imagine? You guys go and steal your movies and get them for free online. Can you imagine some some somebody paying 150 bucks for a movie that they can watch on at home not even in like an HD format you know it's freaking crazy right yeah it's it's amazing it's greed. Uh, it's greed it really is you know yeah absolutely i mean nowadays unless it's like that blade runner suitcase that came out with i don't know how many different discs in it or yeah, something but even that was it was like you know 50 bucks or something right i mean it wasn't i can't imagine one fifty. Oh, was it? it? Okay, all right. But uh, but yeah, I mean, outside of that, it's it's really un unheard of, you know. It, and to this day, I still remember the prices of those uh, those VHSs because of that. Because I mean, everything has, for the most part, gone down since then. So yeah, it's yeah, crazy, it's and crazy. and it's also crazy that Shout at the Devil, as you're mentioning, came out thirty. You said thirty years this week years this week last week if you're listening to the podcast version of this but uh one of my one of my favorite records man i i, I freaking loved it really you know i'd been to a few concerts like my parents took me to see chuck mangione when i was a little kid in the 70s we saw him when i lived in buffalo at uh it's like melanie melody creek park or something and then i saw him at carnegie hall in new york city so i'd been to a few like shows you know chuck mangione was, was kind of like a jazzy jazz fusiony type guy and i'd seen like a local bands play at 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 my junior high school lakeshore middle school in mequon wisconsin but i'd never been to a, a real authentic rock concert until i saw motley crew in 1984 on the shout at the devil tour they first did the tour with ozzy in 83 which my friend derek sivers saw and i was very jealous that he got to see that but i i was not allowed to go to that. But when they came back around, they did a double bill type of thing with Saxon. Heavy Penton was the opening act. They were kind of a short-lived commercial hard rock heavy metal band that had, I think, one album produced by Brian May. But they were the opening act. And then Saxon followed, and then Motley Crue. And I was so into freaking Motley Crue at that time. I, I just really, and to this day, two of my favorite records are those those first two Motley Crue records. Uh, such good stuff. Yeah, w- without a doubt. Uh, Shout at the Devil is my all-time favorite Motley Crue album. But 
Too Fast for Love is is right behind it. I mean, talking about, uh, I was hearing something about athletes peaking soon. Similar w- with them, where you know they were hungry, they wanted you know I guess to sort of you know prove themselves and whatnot. And those albums are just over the top with how how good they are. You know. Um, yeah, totally. And I know that there are a lot of people out there that to this day will tell you that Dr. Feelgood is their best album. But I mean, I don't know. Dr. Feelgood start to finish, in my opinion, doesn't have the same song quality as um, as Shout at the Devil. I mean, I originally had it on cassette. So to end side one with, you know, Helter Skelter and then start up, you know, side two when, you know, having bands picking an opening track to the second side actually meant something instead of it being thrown somewhere in the middle of of an album you know starting outside two with red hot was almost as good as starting out with uh you know shout at the devil totally and i the first thing i bought was i heard looks that kill snuck on like once it was on top 40 radio in chicago which was weird because they never played any heavy metal music on the radio in chicago hardly ever even the rock stations wouldn't play heavy metal music but right. looks to kill sl- slipped down to top 40 radio i heard it i ran to a store that was called, called zayers ran rode my bike and i bought the looks that kill single to start off which i still have somewhere and i should go into my living room and pull it out because i'm on wikipedia right now and it claims that the b-side for looks that kill was too young to fall in love which is not right. The the single I had, I believe, had piece. Uh, I don't believe I'm I'm ninety nine point nine percent positive. It had piece of your action as the B side off the first record. And I remember on the back it showed both albums, and it was like you know trying. It, this single was like a promotional thing that you of course had to buy for both records, and I loved both songs. Um, then I eventually, you know, soon after that, got the full album, Shout at the Devil, which I loved every song on. I guess the one song I didn't absolutely love was Danger, which coincidentally right. was the one song they didn't play live off of that record on the 1984 Shout at the Devil tour, which I believe Shout at the Devil came out in 83. But uh, I saw him in 84 on that tour at the Aragon Ballroom in Chicago. Yeah, Danger's the uh, skip for me as well. Yeah. Uh, it's a shame that the, the one track that was left off, Black Widow, is, in my opinion... It's a good you know, song, yeah. Yeah, it was a real cool song. And one of the reasons that I got the reissue not too long ago was because that's on there, and uh, there's some other obscure B-side, which were, were both better than Danger, in my opinion. So it's a shame that that was left that both of those tracks were left off. Yeah, it is. It is definitely. I had I, what I ended up doing was I used to go to these record swaps they called them and uh, or record conventions and they they were held in a Holiday Inn not far from where I lived in the Chicago suburbs when I was in high school and I, I bought a, a demo a, like a leaked demo on cassette yeah. for like twenty bucks and it had. I have that too. Oh, you did, and it had, and and I remember it like had been recorded at the wrong speed, so everything sounded slightly too fast on the on the thing I paid twenty bucks for. It didn't stop me from listening to it, and uh, it had a lot of the songs from Shout at the Devil. I think it was called the Shout at the Devil demos, 
uh, right. and it had Black Widow on it, and mm-hmm. it also had Hotter Than Hell, which went on right. to become Louder Than Hell uh, right. on on Theater of Pain, which is an interesting thing because I always felt like Louder Than Hell was one of the the better songs off of Theater of Pain, and and it's it's interesting to note that it was actually a leftover from the Shout at the Devil sessions, you know, and which shows you. I don't know. Tonight was a good, good song off the of theater of pain. And of course, home sweet home, you know, love it or hate it. I think it's a freaking killer freaking song that, right. you know, country artists have covered and has been on American Idol and stuff. It's just a really well-written song. It's a great song. But yeah, a lot of, a lot of this stuff on theater of pain is kind of weak. Smoking in the boys room was a cover off of that record. It, it's just uh, nothing compares to me personally, like those two first Motley Crue records. And, you know, Dr. Feelgood, like you said, I do think it's a very strong record, but it doesn't have the the bite that those first two records have, you know. In some ways, I feel that Shout at the Devil was really only the true, the only true metal record that that band put out. I mean, you know, Too Fast for Love was kind of, it had kind of like a more punky pop edge to it. It was definitely hard and heavy, but I wouldn't really necessarily call it a metal record. But I, I felt like the, the imagery and the overall guitar sound and presentation on, on Shout at the Devil, it definitely feels like a heavy metal record. I mean, that's what heavy metal was in 1983, you know? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, and I remember seeing that the Look the Kill video for the first time. I think it was on U68, which used to broadcast in New Jersey. Right, yeah. right. And during the uh, Thor Heavy Metal Power Hour, or whatever it was called. Um, yeah, I saw the video, and, and you know, obviously the connections with Kiss were obvious with the, uh, you know, the, the heels and the makeup, and it seemed like it was Kiss for a New Generation, and it just got me right away, cool. <laughs> you know. So. Right, definitely. So Fun stuff. Yeah. We should end with a track off that record for sure. Uh, Absolutely. But before we do, Dave Burke again. Dave, thanks for listening, by the way, man. We we don't get a ton of people who tune in live to these. Most people hear them in the podcast uh, form. But Dave is is here with us tonight, as well as uh, a bunch of other people, mystery people. I'm not sure who they are, but I guess Todd is probably one of them. Hey, Todd, if you're listening. But Dave uh, just checked in and said, today is the day. And Today, by the way, is September 27th, right? Uh, that And he says, today is the day that Cliff Burton passed away. So, That's true. I saw that on Facebook as well. I actually remember hearing that uh, the when it happened on NEW and not knowing who Metallica was at the time and hearing them sort of come on the air in between songs and saying... Uh, we've just received news that Cliff Burton, the bass player of Metallica, has just died in a bus accident in Sweden. And um, and coincidentally, they didn't play any Metallica. But uh, but I remember them, you know, breaking in on, on the radio and uh, and mentioning that. And I know that for a lot of people, uh, there are stories of them doing that at a nightclub. I've I've read with other artists uh, I remember interviewing Chuck Billy of Testament, who said that um, that they were actually signed the day that he died. Yeah, they, actually, you got to read this book I'm currently reading, Louder Than Hell, it's called. And it goes into that whole thing, like with Testament getting signed on that day. And 
Uh, what was the guy who ran ran Megaforce? Joe Joey Z was that his name? Um, no, Joey Z is the guy that we had on from Life of Agony. Oh, uh, Johnny Johnny Z. Z, Johnny Z, yeah, Johnny Z going out to see them Testament play and and also you know having just heard the news that Cliff died and how, what a weird scene it was. And there's a theory yeah. in the Louder Than Hell book that uh written by kind of uh, by a guy I know named John Wiederhorn, who is probably going to come on talking metal soon, but that the black album would have never happened if Cliff would have survived that basically when Cliff died, he, uh, you know, he, he had been a, a real force creatively in the band and had a lot of say on, on direction. And, you know, he was a very progressive guy, which you can hear on master of puppets. He liked bands like, yes. And, and you can definitely hear that whether you like, yes or not, there's definitely that progressive influence on master of puppets and that, that he just would have never in any, any way, shape or form gone with the direction that they wanted to go with, you know, um, the black album, you know, they wanted to get that that Motley Crue bass sound, you know, and, and have like a, a real big bottom on it, which they had heard Bob Rock do with Motley Crue. And and uh, they just say he would have never, ever went for that. So it's kind of an interesting theory that in some ways Cliff dying may have allowed Metallica to become a household name, you know, and they may have never hit that level if he would have survived for better or worse, you know, for better, I would, I would guess. I mean, what a, what a, what a loss, you know, I mean, how awful. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think we, we all, for the most part, know the story of what happened and I I don't know. I mean, there are so many things that have gone on in that band and and I've heard Lars and um, Hetfield say that the Black Album would have happened in some way, shape, or form because Cliff was probably the most musical out of all of them. And I've heard them say that, you know, he would have wanted to push Metallica in other areas that the band hadn't been at previously. So um, the Black Album probably would have happened, but in a different way, not exactly in the same format. I've heard them say that in interviews. So it's interesting. I know that a lot of, uh, I know with this like metal evolution, uh, there's that whole segment where the host is saying um, how Lars betrayed them with the black album and, and this or that. But I mean, realistically, if you look at a lot of bands outside of ACDC, you know, I don't, I wouldn't put Slayer in that bunch because Slayer detuned and started playing seven strings at one point. For the most yeah, and, part, you know, people forget that about Slayer. And, I, you know, I love Slayer. And, and but there's so many books that, and, and, and history lessons that portray them as never, never losing sight of the, you know, of what they were about. But exactly what, what you said is, is true. You know, listen to this Divine Intervention, I believe, is the album um, where they're detuning and, you know, for for better or worse. A lot of people like to shit on corn, but corn set a precedence with the seven strings that everyone followed. There are very few bands that didn't jump on that bandwagon at that point in time. So, uh, but anyway, getting back to the whole uh, Metallica thing, I mean, 
how again how many artists stayed 100% true to what they originally did if you look at Maiden Maiden has evolved a lot over the years from those first Paul Diano albums up to you know what they're doing now right uh right. sure i mean it stayed more or less in the same i mean some people think acdc maybe you know i don't know but, but they're you know may, maybe the only band but even still i mean they're if you really look at it they're like a blues based band so they've sort of stuck within that corner of hard rock or, or metal or, or you know rock if you know depending on how you look at it but i mean I personally think that Cliff would have, you know, veered off in another direction. Would it have been the Black Album? I don't know. I don't know, you know, Cliff Burton as well as, you know, the surviving members of Metallica. So I would think they would be, they would have a more authentic answer uh, than any of us, honestly. I'm telling you, I'll hold this book up. Victor and I are on webcams. This is the book. Um, Can you see that? Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Louder than hell. It's like literally... 800 pages it's it's crazy um i haven't finished it yet no it's like 700 pages 700 pages i haven't finished it yet but it it is just a fun read a couple facts here and there that i'm not exactly sure are right like he claims that uh when ozzy bit the head off the bat that the bat was alive which i'm quite sure the bat was dead from every story i ever heard uh, ozzy tell uh the it was a dead bat that was thrown on stage however a few years previous to that or a year previous, he did bite the head off a live dove or two in a conference room in CBS records in New York. But I believe the bat was technically dead when it was thrown on stage and he thought it was a rubber bat. He bit the head off of it. Um, So they claim that the bat was alive when he bit the head off it. Uh, And there was one other fact in the book that I thought was a little screwy. However, the book itself is a great fucking read and, I'm reading about the Pantera stuff right now. Such, I mean, such an intense story that those guys have. And and, I mean, it's uh, their music obviously is great and people love it. Most people do. Some people don't. But the story of Pantera is is really amazing. I mean, and heartbreaking for, for that matter. And they get into it heavily in this book, Louder Than Hell by John Wiederhorn and Catherine Turnman. So, highly recommended reading, and we hope to have at least one of the authors of the book on Talking Metal soon. So, back to Motley Crue. Should we uh, wrap this up tonight? Maybe we should plug a little uh, support for the shows, first and foremost. Yeah, absolutely. We we do have a Motley Crue track queued up, but uh, yeah. as usual, um, actually, I just posted a podcast today, which will be the first official Mars Attacks on Talking Metal Digital. Yeah, exactly. And let, let me tell you, Victor, and also the Talking Metal listeners what we're going to do. The very next podcast you hear, guys, is going to be Victor's Mars Attacks podcast uh, with a Brian Tishy interview. And in the same way that I gave you a sample of talking rock on this talking metal RSS feed, we are going to give you a sample of Mars attacks, which if you like it, you should go subscribe to the Mars attacks podcast. It is part of the talking metal digital network, which is a network of so far three podcasts, talking metal, talking rock and Mars attacks. 
I would imagine within the next six months, there'll be another podcast or two or three joining us. We'll keep you posted on that. And, uh, you know, support Talking Metal Digital by going to TalkingMetalDigital.com or TalkingMetal.com or MarsAttacks.com and making a PayPal donation. You can also use our Amazon link somewhere. Someone right now is about to make a purchase on Amazon. All you do is you go to TalkingMetal.com and use our link to open up Amazon. You'll see it in the show notes of today's episode. And I don't even know why Amazon does this. I mean, why? it's like basically they don't charge more for the purchases, but then they give the people linking to them a cut. It almost makes no sense why they would do this, but they do. And it's good for uh, podcasters like like myself and and like Victor. So support us by making your Amazon purchases and using the, the links that we have up on our sites to open your Amazon before open Amazon before you make those purchases. Uh, and again, PayPal donations are great. Uh, I just uh, today was my official last day on a, on a gig that I've been on for the past 15 months. And I have a little work lined up in November, but nothing for October at the current moment. So I'm actually freaking out a little bit. And, uh, need to figure out a source of income. I wish I could do this podcasting full time, but that it's not quite there yet. So uh anyways, I could use some support now more than ever if you don't mind, guys. PayPal donation, please. Did they at least let you see the last episode of Breaking Bad before leaving? No, well, you know, it's weird. I worked I was working at IFC for the last 15 months and they are the sister station to Breaking Bad. And no, they did not. Uh, if you're listening to the live show of this, the last episode of Breaking Bad airs this Sunday. If you're listening to the podcast, it probably aired last week. Uh, and I'll tell you that they do. They did have it in-house there, and they had it actually on a drive in the edit rooms, and it's like a shared drive, so, you, so I can dip into the AMC uh, footage, but they had that part of the shared drive locked and it's been high, high security on anything breaking bad. Anybody even going near the footage has to sign like a, a confidentiality agreement, basically saying they'll personally be sued if they, they leak any part of the story. So it's, it's pretty intense, but no, I have not seen it and I, I can't wait to see it this, this Sunday. It's been one of my favorite shows of all time. So I'm very psyched to see it. And uh, are you caught up with it? I actually am. It was funny because it took me forever to get into the show. Like the um, first two, two and a half seasons. I was like, all right, everyone keeps saying the show's so good. I, I got to wait for it. You know, it, I wasn't digging it. And then finally, by the time the third season came around, it clicked. I got it. And, uh, and it's funny because, um, I mean, I got, I have to stay off of Facebook on Monday morning because right. I won't right. be able to see it until probably Monday afternoon. And everyone and their mother is going to be saying shit about it. I got, I probably have to turn my phone off as well right. because uh, w- with all the different things going on. But, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see, uh, to see what happens. We've seen a glimpse of uh, Walt coming back to the house. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I really feel that up until in that last episode when he called his son, he still like had this idea that, you know, I can still fix this or I can still somewhat fix this or I'm going to, 
you know, try and do this, you know, even like right before they killed Hank, you know, he was trying to say, I'll give you all the money if you don't kill him. You know, he always feels that, you know, it's not over yet, you know, and he had that in, in the Safeway house before they, you know, Sal Goodman went off to get his new identity running a Cinnabon in wherever South Dakota, uh, he, um, you know, Walt confronted him and he still had this, this vibe, like, we're going to fix this and make it right. You know? And I feel like up until that phone call with his son, I, I feel like it finally dawned on him at the end of that, you know, second to last episode that this is unfixable, you know, nothing, nothing's going to be fixed. And, you know, you saw that, that, that footage of the, the gray company, you know, the, the, his ex-girlfriend and her current wife, you know, talking about how, how the, the real, you know, the real Walt White is dead, you know, and it was almost like, okay, Walt White is dead. And all we're going to have left in this final episode is Heisenberg, you know, um, that's one theory I have, although, you know, I think we'll maybe see a little glimpse of Walt White come back at the very end, but I, I think it's going to be a bloodbath, man. Yeah, I do too. I think somehow Pinkman has to survive, though. Uh, he's he's somehow. I think, I think um, as you're saying, uh, Heisenberg is going to, uh, you know, first of all, he's got the ricin that he pulled out of the wall in the house um, during one of the previous episodes. Well, so yeah, you, but that was a flash forward in that episode. That's the episode where he goes into the house. And, and he said, so that's going to, that's actually like going to take place, I think, in, in, in this episode. Yeah. It has to. Yeah. So he's somehow going to get that or going to try to get that into Jack's cigarette. And somehow along the way, he's going to figure out that Pinkman is, is held hostage there. And some, the, the only reason that I think that Pinkman is going to survive is that somehow or another, someone has to go back to his family and say, look, you know, he tried to save Hank. So somehow that connection has to has to take place where even though he's done a lot of fucked up stuff, you know, that they're going to relay that he did it all for his family. And even though they didn't see that, you know, by that time, he's probably gone. But right. Right. Well, it should be interesting. It should be. Yeah. Yeah. Some intense episodes of Breaking Bad lately. Uh, Fun show, I guess. Fun, maybe depressing show. I don't know. Intense show, nonetheless. I I enjoy it. Beginning, without a doubt. <laughs> yeah. What's that? I missed. I missed that. Uber depressing in the beginning. That's why I couldn't get into it. But then oh, right. finally, you realize like what's going on. At least for me, it's when it took off. But uh, it'll be interesting. Will the new Saul spinoff? Will it be him at the Cinnabon, or will it be him as a lawyer? Uh, from from what has been publicly spoken about by AMC Networks on that, uh, it will be. It'll it'll possibly have some of him at the Cinnabon, maybe remembering back on the cases and 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 life he had leading up to him meeting Walt White. Huh. And I don't know if a younger actor will play uh, play the part, but I do know that Bob Odenkirk is somehow involved in in the show. And speaking of IFC and Bob Odenkirk, he has a new show starting on IFC called The Birthday Boys, which I had the privilege of of watching a few episodes of. It's a sketch comedy show. It's fucking hilarious. Just bizarre. Yeah. If you like just weird offbeat 
humor. It's uh, it's funny stuff. So um, Bob Odenkirk will be all over AMC Networks in the bake, Breaking Bad spinoff on AMC and on the Birthday Boys, which is uh, on IFC, which is AMC's one of AMC's sister stations. Cool. And I guess we'll wrap things up cool. with a little Motley Crue getting a little late for both of us. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I always say and we're going to keep these shows to an hour, and that rarely happens. Yeah, problem is when you have a you know blabbermouth on the other end of the <laughs> of the line. Right. You know, it's hard for me to keep it to an hour. Oh, but, yeah, uh, me too. But yeah, it's fun talking with you, Victor, as always. And uh, it's fun hanging with you guys, the Talking Metal and the Mars Attacks listeners. Stay tuned for the very next episode of Talking Metal is a special edition of Mars Attacks with Brian Tishy. So stay tuned for that, guys, and support what we do by visiting our sites and uh, making a PayPal donation or, or using the link, the Amazon link that we mentioned earlier. Little Motley Crew here. 30 years old. Wow. 30 years. The title track, Shout at the Devil. <laughs>